this week on Hope for the Broken. How do I know if I'm ready for baptism? Well, I would say consider the early church, right? Like 3,000 people came to faith and were baptized that day. They didn't learn ecclesiology, missiology, or eschatology, or any other ology. They simply came to faith and said, I want to follow Jesus. And they were baptized. Listen, the only requirement for you to be baptized is to know Jesus. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Back to the Basics. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part five titled, Why Baptism? I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 13 through 17 this morning. We are continuing our sermon of series uh, that we have entitled Back to the Basics. And what we're doing is we're taking a a look at uh, very foundational principles. We're taking a look at ordinances given to the church, practices of the church, and we're asking questions, why do we do the things that we do in church? Is there any meaning to them? Is there any significance to them? And so today we come to the topic of baptism. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 3 in these verses as we take a look at Jesus' baptism. Now we're going to examine a variety of, uh, of scriptures But this is going to be our main uh, focal point here this morning. You know, there are certain symbols, or even signs, and even jingles in our culture that cause cause us to immediately recognize where they belong. These things have been so ingrained in us that a lot of times we recognize them just a fraction of their either revealing of their symbol, logo, or uh, the first part of the the sounds of their, their jingle. And so this morning, I want to play uh, a game and have a little bit of fun to see if we can recognize some symbols, some jingles in in our culture, okay? So this is what we call all skate. That means everybody is is on the the skating rink floor, and we're going to all participate here together, okay? All right, so I'm going to say either a logo, or I'm going to say a jingle or a phrase, and you repeat uh, immediately what you think. You shout out immediately what comes to mind. Cool, are we good? We ready? All right, the golden arches. McDonald's, okay. What's in your wallet? Capital One, okay. Uh, we did this uh, this little game with our uh, with our worship team, with our leadership team beforehand, and somebody said, one of I said that Samuel L. Jackson, yeah, because he's he's the face of Capital One, yeah. What about this one? We are farmers. <laughs> Some of you are a little slower than others, okay. What about this nationwide is. Hey, very good. Good job. Y'all know your jingles. So you see, you see my point, right? There are things that we easily recognize, symbols that we easily recognize. Well, there is a symbol of greatness that stands above all other symbols, a symbol of tested excellence, and it is the blue star from a Dallas Cowboy. How many Dallas Cowboy fans in the room? All right. 
Right now is the time of year where you're pumping your fist. You're saying, yeah, I'm a Cowboys fan. Just give it a few months and you'll get quieter about it. I promise you. <laughs> you feel me? So, uh, no, I, I am a Dallas Cowboys fan. This, this jersey belongs to my son like six years ago. Uh, and so I'm not going to put it on for you. <laughs> that would be embarrassing for me and probably equally as embarrassing for you. Uh, but but it's, it's a symbol, right? We recognize symbols. Symbols surround our lives. And it's true even of the church. It's true of our religious convictions. For example, there are biblical symbols. The rainbow is not a, a, a testimony of pride. It is instead a testimony of God's promise to never flood the earth. The Ark of the Covenant, when it's seen, is recognized as the very presence of the Lord. In the New Testament, there are several symbols as well. Symbols like the Lord's Supper, what we looked at last week, and even baptism. Today, we're going to be talking about the subject of baptism. And let me just say this off the top. I've been in ministry for 23 years, and probably one of the, one of the greatest and most misunderstood subjects is this topic of baptism. There's a lot of questions surrounding baptism. And that's because we are a melting pot of people. And we come to church and we come to the scriptures with a variety of backgrounds and, and experiences. And our views on this subject are often tied to those backgrounds and tied to those experiences in our life. And so here's what I want to do this morning, okay? Right off the top of, the hat, uh, of, the, of this message. I want us to take off the denominational hats, okay? I want us to remove the lenses of our backgrounds. And I want us to peer into the pages of Scripture and be solely informed today on this subject by the Scriptures. Because, see, here's the deal. Let me, let me just say this. When we die and we go to glory, right, God's not going to consider your denomination, <laughs> He's going to consider your adherence to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his word. And so before we are, I know we're Trinity Baptist Church, before we are Baptists, we are followers of the book, right? Because tie, being tied to a denomination does not uh, get us into heaven, nor does it get us anywhere. And so what I want to do is, I, seriously, I want to take the, the denominational hats off, the, the lenses of our experiences off and strictly allow the scriptures to read into us instead of us trying to read into the scriptures. And so I want us to search the Bible and I want us to ask certain questions to see if the Bible has answers. Questions like, what is the big deal about baptism? Does baptism get us into heaven? Why should someone be baptized? When should someone be baptized? And how should baptism be done? I believe the Bible answers those questions with absolute clarity. And with that said, let's read our text this morning. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John the, that's John the Baptist, to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, 
This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Let's begin our discussion this morning, examination of scripture with the question, what is the big deal about baptism? Is baptism a big deal? Yes. Three reasons why. Number one, Jesus pronounces it as a big deal. So how, how does he pronounce it? Well, when Jesus came to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist, John the Baptist resisted him. And Jesus confronted that resistance. And he demanded that he be baptized. Why would Jesus, the one person who had no need of John the Baptist's baptism, be baptized? Well, I think he wanted to set an example for followers that would come behind him and for him, for them to follow in his footsteps. And so Jesus pronounces that it's a big deal by demanding that he himself, by way of example, be baptized. But in addition to that, Jesus further pronounces it a big deal because he commands baptism. After his resurrection, he gathered in the upper room with his disciples. And you remember what he said, his famous last words, the great commission, the very mission uh, of our church, the very marching orders that every church is to follow. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus didn't say baptizing would be a good idea. He didn't say it'd be really neat if you baptize believers. No, he said, make disciples, and as you go doing that, you baptize them. And the modeling of Jesus being baptized, and the command of Jesus to baptize, points to the fact that baptism is indeed a big deal. It's a big deal. It's an act that is important enough to be observed and then commanded by Jesus himself. So in that way, baptism is a big deal. The second reason it is a big deal is that baptism predates the New Testament. Did you know that? Baptism is not a New Testament construct. It has long predated the New Testament. Before Jesus' arrival, God has his people, the Jews. They were his chosen people, his covenant people. And there were what were called Gentile nations, any non-Jew that surrounded the Jews. And many of those Gentiles desired to become Jews because they understood a belief in Almighty God. And so there was a problem confronted with these Jews. Can we allow a Gentile to become a Jew, to follow in uh, Judaism? And so a provision was made for these what were called proselytes that could then convert to Judaism. And it was a three-phase, a three-stage process by which they became Jews. First was circumcision, then was sacrifice, and then thirdly was the immersion of oneself into water. And the immersion into water was for a very particular purpose. It was a symbol. It was a symbol of dying to the Gentile world and coming into the Jewish world. It was a way of saying the old way is gone, my old identity is gone, and then they become a new person with a new life and a relationship with the one true God. Now fast forward to Jesus' earthly ministry. You know, him being baptized here was the very beginning of his earthly ministry. He chose baptism to begin his earthly ministry. 
But John the Baptist was preparing the way for Christ. And he was urging baptism as an act of repentance. You know the word repent is a big word that means to turn and go another direction. And so John the Baptist's baptism was to say, I've been a sinner, I've been steeped in sin, and I am to reject that life and to turn and go another way. And essentially what John the Baptist was saying is that you need to die to your old ways, your old sinful ways, and you need to come alive to your new ways. That is the picture of repentance. A death, a burial, and a resurrection was needed to repent. Well, Jesus, we know, would later fulfill that death, burial, and resurrection as he hung on the cross, was laid in Joseph's grave. But on the third day, he did what? He rose victorious over sin, death, and the grave. And so Jesus desired to be baptized as a symbol, not only of what he would do, but what he would call believers to, creating new life. And so baptism is a big deal because Jesus pronounces it And baptism is a big deal because it predates the New Testament. But the third reason why I would say baptism is a big deal is because it was prioritized by the church. The early church prioritized, made a priority of baptism, this act of baptism. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Acts 8, when Philip reached Samaria and a bunch of Samaritans believed and they were baptized. Later on in Acts 8, Philip leads an Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord and he gets baptized after he responds to the gospel. Acts chapter 9, Saul, who later became Paul, had a come to Jesus moment and he surrendered to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of of his life and scripture says immediately he was baptized. Acts chapter 10, verse 47, Cornelius and his soldiers were baptized after hearing the gospel. Acts chapter 16, verse 15, Lydia was baptized on the same day she trusted Jesus. Acts chapter 16, verse 34, the Philippian jailer believed at midnight and he and his family were baptized before dawn. Acts chapter 18, verse 8, Paul preached in Corinth, people got saved and those people were immediately baptized. You get the point, right? I mean, we have overwhelming evidence that the church, the early church, the first church prioritized baptism. And so baptism is a big deal. Jesus pronounces it so. It predates the New Testament, but the church prioritized it. Now, I want to make something very clear. It's almost in the pages of Acts like the early church tied salvation to baptism. You know, there were 3,000 that came to faith and they were baptized that day. Uh, Philip uh, is talking with the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch gets baptized that day. There's, this, there's such priority it's tied to, but let me hear, hear me out. Scripture, though they were very close in nature and that the early church prioritizes it, they are two separate events. In other words, our salvation is not completed when we are baptized. Our salvation is c- completed when we receive the word of God, and then we follow through in believer's baptism. My nephew, uh, he's 10 years old or so, recently saved, came to faith. He has yet to be baptized. He went to summer camp and uh, he came forward because he was under, under conviction, I guess, and he told the pastor there that he's only half saved. <laughs> I haven't been baptized yet. I'm only half saved. And the pastor said, no, you are fully saved. You just need to become obedient in believers' baptism. I, I love that picture. And, and that's not just a pastor's perspective. It's Scripture's 
perspective. And that that leads us to this next question, question number two. Does baptism get us into heaven? If If you are not baptized, are you not going to heaven? Or does baptism complete our salvation? Again, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Those who received, make note of that word, that is in past tense. Those who received his word were baptized. Meaning that they already received the word before they followed through in baptism. I believe the receiving of the word of God is the moment of salvation for these folks. And it was forever eternally secure in the personal work of Jesus Christ. Baptism came after so baptism, even though it's a priority, it's, and it's not separated from salvation in the scriptures, it is just a symbol. Take, for example, this wedding ring that I'm wearing today. If I were to take it off, am I still married? Absolutely. Kathy says, oh, yes, you are, right? You're still married. If someone else were to take this ring and put it on their finger, are they married? No. They may be married, but they're not married to the same person I'm married to, Right? And so it's, it's a symbol. When I wear this ring, it makes a pronouncement. It lets everyone know that there is a real love relationship that is extremely important in my life. That's exactly what baptism does for us. It lets everybody know that there is a real love relationship with Jesus. And it is so vitally important in my life, but it is simply a symbol of that. It is not salvation in and of itself. So if baptism is merely a symbol, and it's not necessary for salvation or to get into heaven, then it brings up a third question. Question number three, why should someone be baptized? It doesn't matter. Why do it? Three things I would say to that. Three words. I would say to that question, number one, obedience. Obedience. Baptism is often referred to as the first step of obedience when you surrender your life to Jesus. This is because we are responding to the command and the great commission given to us by Jesus. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to know something about this passage. The directive here is to make disciples. That's the command. Everything else in the Great Commission modifies that command, that directive. So, for example, we are to make disciples. How, Jesus, are we to make disciples? Well, you are to baptize them, and then you are to teach them everything that I have commanded. Baptize, then teach. In other words, the first step in obedience is following Jesus in baptism. We are not to know all the commandments. We don't have to attend a class. We don't have to pray about it. We don't have to first become a mature Christian and then get baptized. But rather, Jesus is saying, as soon as you believe, you can be baptized and you ought to be baptized. And then after you're baptized, we'll teach you to obey everything that he has commanded. Now, this is important. Because I often hear people, I, I have an opportunity to, to witness people surrendering to the Lord Jesus themselves, and, and I'll immediately start talking about baptism at that point. And, and oftentimes, one of, the, one of the greatest hurdles to being baptized is this idea of, I don't know if I'm ready yet, right? That's a legitimate question. 
How do I know if I'm ready for baptism? Well, I would say consider the early church, right? Like 3,000 people came to faith and were baptized that day. They didn't learn ecclesiology, missiology, or eschatology, or any other ology. They simply came to faith and said, I want to follow Jesus. And they were baptized. Listen, the only requirement for you to be baptized is to know Jesus. That's it. You don't have to have this whole thing figured out. No one expects you to know calculus the first day you take math. It's a process of growing and learning and study. And so the same is is true in our journey with Jesus. When we come to faith in him, we follow through in baptism, and then we are taught everything that he has commanded us. Why should someone be baptized? Obedience. Second reason someone should be baptized is identity. Baptism is proclaiming a new identity. I told you about that as the Gentiles came into Judaism. It was a new identity for them, and baptism was the significance marking that. And that significance has not changed. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Paul says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Baptism is an identity thing. Back to this jersey. I did not bring this jersey today in hopes that I would become a Cowboy fan. I brought this jersey today because I'm already a Cowboy fan. If I was going to go to a game against the Washington Redskins, or I know there's some folks from Philadelphia here. Any Pittsburgh Steelers fans in the room? Okay. Oh, okay, right over there. I will pray for your salvation, bro. All right. So... If we, if, we were go, if we were to go to a game where the Cowboys were playing the Steelers, I'm not wearing a Steelers jersey. Why? Because that's not who I want to identify with. I'm wearing a Cowboys jersey, or I'm wearing a Dallas Cowboys shirt, or I'm wearing blue. I've even got my socks on today, right? I'm a fan. So we want to identify, we want people to know whose team we're on. So baptism is an identity thing. It lets people know that we are on team Jesus. Paul said it this way, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When we are baptized, we proclaim to the world that we have aligned our lives to Jesus as Lord. We have followed his example. We have surrendered to him. So why should someone be baptized even though it's not necessary for salvation? Well, obedience and identity. Third reason is marker. It's a marker. Baptism is is a kind of marker in our lives. Helps us to understand what a relationship with Jesus means. See, when we come to Jesus, Scripture says that what we are doing is that we are dying to sin. We are dying to our fleshly desires in Christ's death, And we are being raised with Christ, as Scripture says, in newness of life. 2 Corinthians teaches that we become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. My old ways is being killed, being crucified, and behold, my new ways are in Christ. Let's read further in that Romans 6 passage, verses 3 through 8. 
as we see this marker idea. Paul uses baptism as a marker. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in a death like his, and we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe also that we will live with him. You see this picture, this marker. It's a testimony of a moment in our lives in which we surrendered to Jesus. Let me illustrate it this way. When we go on vacations, if you're anything like us, we like to purchase souvenirs, whether that's a t-shirt or some trinket or any other things. I've kind of gotten into lately collecting ornaments. The idea behind it is at Christmas time to be reminded of the trip so that when you hang it on the tree, you could be reminded and discuss as a family all the experiences that you have. It, that ornament serves as a marker of an experience that we as a family have had. Baptism is much the same way. Baptism serves as a marker by which you have surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's a reminder that you can look back on of that, that, that the fact that you have died to your old sinful self and that you are to continually die to your old sinful self because it likes to rear its ugly head time and time and time again. It, it is a picture. And Paul says that look to our baptism to consider the powerful theological truth that it communicates that we are dead to sin, but we are alive to Christ. Just like the ornament is not the trip itself, it's a reminder of the trip. Baptism, therefore, is a similar reminder. It is not salvation, but it tells us that we have died to sin and we are to continually die to sin. So we've answered three big questions. Is, why is baptism a big deal? Does it get us to heaven? Why should someone be baptized? In the time left that we have this morning, I want to examine the final question, number four. How should I be baptized? And again, I want to answer this question by simply looking at the examples given to us in Scripture. Not informed by denominationalism, not informed by tie to any particular individual in our life. Let's just look at the examples of the Scripture and see if we can answer this question. And two things in particular that seem to surround itself regarding this topic. Uh, number one, when are we to be baptized? And number two, does the Scriptures teach us how we are to be baptized? And I think Scripture speaks to both of those. First, baptism in the pages of the Scripture comes after one's salvation. There are two main approaches regarding the timing of baptism. A phrase called pedo-baptism, the root word pedi, right? Think pediatrician, child. So this would be the practice of infant baptism. Pedo-baptism is a tradition in some churches that has practiced infant baptism. The other form of baptism is something called credo-baptism, right? The root word there being creed. So the expression of some belief or a profession of some sort of faith then would lead to someone's 
Baptism. Credo Baptist baptized someone following a statement of faith. Now here's the truth. In the pages of the New Testament, there is not an indication anywhere to be found whatsoever that infants were ever baptized. The examples we get are only those that are baptized following a profession of faith in Jesus as Lord. In other words, credo baptism, a profession of faith led to one's baptism. Now, there are some that would suggest, yeah, but everyone is coming to faith then, and so this is a new way of life for them. But if that was the case, and if uh, paedo-baptism was, was subscribed in the pages of Scripture, then why don't we have anything after this first church getting started of any record of, of infant baptism, right? And so I think that the example set for us from Scripture is credo-baptism. Now, the closest thing we get to infant baptism in the New Testament is the Philippian jailer. Remember his story? Remember Paul and Silas are in prison, and they're singing hymns. they got a worship service going, and then the, the jail shook, and the chains fell, and the doors fl- flung open. And as Paul and Silas were walking out, the Philippian jailer was going to take his own life because he failed to keep watch. And Paul and Silas said, no, 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 no. Don't take your own life. They share Jesus with him. He takes them home and gives them breakfast. And then they preach it to the entire household. And scripture says that his entire home was then baptized. So the question then becomes, who all is in this home? Right? That's a valid question. does Does this Philippian jailer have an infant? Because if he does, then that infant was baptized in, in this case. I think there's some clues to tell us that there was not an infant in the house at that, at that point. Let's look at it. Acts chapter 16, verse 32. It says, And they, being Paul and Silas, spoke the word of the Lord, that is the gospel, to him, the Philippian jailer, and to all who were in his house. I want you to follow my thought here. Speaking the word of the Lord to everyone in the house communicates that everyone in the house was of age to hear the gospel and to respond to it. You see, you follow me there? And so there is an understanding that there would not be an infant in this case. Now, his in-laws may have been there. His parents may have been there. I don't know who all was there. But we know that everyone who heard the message was of age to understand it and respond to it. Therefore, They had met the prerequisite of salvation and then were baptized. Perhaps one of the clearest indications that credo-baptism is the practice of the Scriptures is Acts 2.41. Again, it says this, those who received His Word were baptized. The reception of the Gospel leads to baptism. And it is for that reason that we practice baptism after salvation. We are credo-baptists in the sense that we identify with those who have made a profession of faith. The second aspect of how to be baptized deals with the mode of baptism. How should baptism be done? Does the Scripture give us any kind of example? I believe it does. Baptism in the Scriptures is done by immersion. Immersion is a giant word that means to completely submerge. Now, this is where our denominational hats and our lenses come into play, right? Because there are some churches that pour during baptism, some that sprinkle, while others immerse. And so the question then is, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible model for us? 
There is no passage in the New Testament by which any other form of baptism was utilized other than immersion. Well, where do you get that? In a couple of different places. First, John chapter 3, verse 23. It says, John, that's John the Baptist, was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because the water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. The indication that the water being plentiful means that there was enough water to immerse. If sprinkling or pouring were in view in this particular passage, then John's baptisms could have been done anywhere with as little water as possible. What about the case of Jesus' baptism? We read it as our main text, verse 16 of Matthew chapter 3. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Well, to come up from the water implies what? Jesus was down in the water. Again, highlighting immersion. And every example in the New Testament uses that same language, coming up out of the water, that they went down in the water. It is also important to take notice of the word that's translated, baptize. That word in the original language means immersion. The word baptize means immersion. That's the original intent of the word. So every time you read the word baptize in the pages of the New Testament, you need to think immersion because that was the practice. Now, I want you to hear me clearly. To me, the evidence points very clearly from Scripture to baptism by immersion following profession of faith. But I in no way, shape, or form want to take away from the practice of infant baptism. If you were in this room and you were baptized as an infant, I don't want to take away from the significance of that. But what I would say to that case is that that was probably very significant for your parents, not for you as an infant, you see. And we practice something very similar. It's something very significant. We call it family dedication, where parents stand up here with their children and they commit to their church to raise their kids in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And the church then commits to coming alongside those parents and helping them in that endeavor. So I don't want to confuse the two. We don't want to confuse the two, dedication and baptism, right? But I also don't want to take away if that is your experience, But if you were baptized as an infant and you have come since then to a belief in Jesus as Lord, here's my question. Why not follow the Lord Jesus in believer's baptism? It's not to deny or to say that what your previous experience was is wrong. Instead, it's to say, I recognize the power, the picture of baptism. What about if you're here And your baptism was different than immersion. What if you experienced sprinkling or or pouring as your baptism? Here's, Here's what I would encourage you to do. Two things. Consider the example set in the New Testament. Why is the New Testament examples given to us only by immersion? And secondly, I would encourage you, join in on the display that baptism by immersion paints. What does it paint? It paints that we were buried with Christ in baptism, but raised to walk new life. There is no clearer picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ 
than when we watch and observe and participate in baptism by immersion. It also is the very tenets of what Jesus himself did. He died on the cross, was laid in a tomb, and on the third day rose again. So consider the significance of what you are painting by being obedient to baptism by immersion. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.